one robotic assemble. assemble. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's usually like that. It's always like that. It's so hard to do stuff like that over Zoom. It's, yeah. Yeah. It also happens in person. There's always like one person yelling at later. And so... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so well, welcome to whatever episode this is going to be. I think this is episode nine of the of the Robotics Assemble podcast by Saints Robotics. Uh, today we have with us Adrian from First Washington, who's the event and. Man- Director of Events or event, Director of Programs and Event Coordinator. Sorry, I need to look at my notes for that one. Not a problem. Uh, yeah, welcome. Do you want to inter- take a second to introduce yourself to everyone listening? Sure. Um, as I said, my name is Adrian Rimey. I'm um, the Director of Programs with First Washington. I've um, been working for First Washington since 2014. But um, I became involved, or I guess introduced to FIRST Robotics Competition back in 2007. Yeah. Cool. Um, just to kind of get, get off to a start, um, how did you get into robotics and specifically event planning? Um, well, um, so my daughter's best friend's older brother started um, Bare Metal 2046. Um, She was in, I think, seventh seventh grade at the time. Um, And so my husband at the time was an engineer and became a mentor on the team. And so I got involved before my my children were even involved. And then my two older daughters went through the program as they went through high school. And I started volunteering at events and bare metal took on running the FTC, some FTC regional events. So I started supporting that and um, eventually running those. And um, Kevin Ross came to me and initially asked me to become the FTC partner for First Tech Challenge, which meant that I would I would work with Eric Stokely and I um, I managed the program and ran the events with him. And when they decided to go the direction of districts for first robotics competition, um, I came on initially as the event manager. And um, since then, I now oversee all the programs, um, although I work probably most closely with with FRC. Cool. Um, What did you do before you got into first? Like... Well, I've done a lot of things. I um, was the office manager and kind of, I guess, business manager for um, a door repair company for 15 years. So I did um, their finances. Um, at the time I started working for for First Washington, my youngest daughter was fairly young and I had been working from home for a while and then went to work in um, the library as a librarian for, um, Tahoma High School, or I guess I was at working at Tahoma Junior High, um, just so that I could have summers off with my kids and be involved with my with my kids, but um, still be engaged with the school. So, yeah, cool. that is cool. Sounds like you've had a wide range of career. I kind um, of have, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, do you, do you want to talk about kind of like what you're working on right now at First Washington, like what? things you guys are trying to push forward during this challenging corona times? Sure. Um, You know, our main goal is to keep all the students and the coaches for all the programs feeling connected. And um, 
one of the ways that we're trying to do that for FRC is we have um, our virtual pits. We started that um, October 31st and actually had over 115 people join us. And so we really felt good about um, about how successful that was. So we're holding our second one on November 21st. Um, based on feedback from our students, we're going to start it at 11 instead of 10. So you can sleep in a little bit longer. Um, and, you know, teams can choose to have a virtual pit. There's a sign up. Or if teams want to do some sort of a presentation, you can also sign up to have like a presentation room instead of a virtual pit. And you can come and just, you know, also surf the pits and talk with your friends and see what other teams are doing. Um, for the 21st, we actually invited Ontario teams to join us. So I'm not sure if we'll see any teams or not, but um, we sent all the information to our friends up in our Ontario. So um, we might get some teams up there joining us. Um, the second thing we're doing is we're doing our PNW FRC team meetings every Thursday from 6 to 8. And um, this coming week, SodaBots 2557 will be hosting. And it's just an opportunity. We'll have a different host each week and they can run the meeting however they want. They can invite other teams to work with them. They can um, run just a few meeting rooms or have you know a bunch of different things going on. But it's just, again, another way that our students and um, mentors can engage with each other while we, while we can't have in-person events and can't meet in person. Yeah. So for a bunch of the viewers who haven't been able to make any of them due to either geographic reasons, like reasons for not being like Washington affiliated or just haven't gotten the time to, these events are all, have all been a great success. I mean, it's been really nice being able to talk to other teams and being able to talk to other people engage who like robotics. Because I know for me, I spend a lot of time on it, even over Corona where you can't be in person. It's, I spend a lot of time on it, so it's really nice to be able to talk to other people who are dedicated, who want to do things. It's really awesome just to be able to talk to people. Well, good. I'm passions. glad. Yes. Yeah. One thing um, first has really provided me is the opportunity to find my people. Um, just as no one was saying, like, you know, talk to people with the the same interests as you. Um, you know, talk about you know, similar problems and challenges we're facing, like with engineering or outreach, um, things like that. Um, have you been able to like sort of experience that within first? Do you want to share about? I, I have, I have always been involved in what my, my children have done. So, you know, I've been involved with PTA and drama and soccer and softball and everything. And I have never seen a program that affects kids as strongly as FIRST Robotics. I mean, I've seen students who, you know, barely talk and barely say a word as freshmen give amazing presentations and, you know, go out, you know, on their own, go out and um, seek sponsors or give presentations in front of the school board or, or do things that you just never would have dreamed that they, they would do when you first met them. You know, also as the mother of three daughters, I've seen my own girls as they've gone through the program, just the self-confidence that they've gained and the problem solving and the thinking outside the box. You know, I, I think just it gives the students the strength 
and the confidence to be able to break a problem down and solve it and ask for help if they need to. They understand how to get resources that they need. Um, and they're not afraid to try something new, you know, which is which is outstanding. And whether kids go into a STEM career or not, I just think what this does for our students, um, it's it's just a phenomenal program. Yeah, one of the things I like most about FIRST, especially the robotic, the FRC, is that there's such a the diverse range of problems that we encounter in the skill sets. So even if someone's not interested in STEM or not interested in any of that, there's always the media and the outreach or the business side of it that they can engage in. And there's something for almost anyone in an FRC team. If I, and the, Yeah. I agree with you. I used to, when I coached, I used to tell people that, you know, FIRST Robotics Competition is a sport where everybody can be on varsity because anybody who wants to contribute someone can be a contributing member of an frc team you know and i love the camaraderie camaraderie and you see people from all different walks of life that have all different interests and they can come together and work together yeah um speaking off of diversity a little bit um how have you seen First Wa encourage girls to join STEM and FRC, and how have you seen that shape and grow them as people? You know, um, it started when actually Oregon started their first girls' gen, and um, Washington, it's actually um, my daughter is the one who started, Mackenzie is the one who started girls' gen up here in Washington. Um, and that really got more girls you know, behind the glass, because it seems to me, and I know the problem she was trying to solve was that she didn't see many girls trying to drive the robot. And so she wanted to give them an opportunity to um, see what it's like and to experience it, because it's an area that they're not always as assertive as, as boys as far as trying to pick up the stick and drive the robot. Um, you know, additionally, we started something called the Girls First Initiative. Um, Aaron McCallum started that as our president, and it's just, it's a group of not only female volunteers, but students, and they get together and meet, and I think try and collaborate and, and figure out how to get more girls involved. We've reached out to women in STEM or women engineering groups, you know, to see if we can get sponsorship. We have tried to promote, like one of our field supervisors is a female, which is, I think, outstanding. Um, the head lead robot, and actually, she not only is one of our field, um, field supervisors, she was asked by FIRST to be one of like the lead head field supervisors for FIRST just this past year. They have two of them, and one of them is um, one of our own alum and key volunteers. Um, you know, so we try and make sure that we have a diverse group of volunteers as well as as trying to get teams to recruit a diverse group of students because I think when people see diversity in the volunteers, they, um, they feel more comfortable participating. And it's an area that we can still do a lot better and we're still trying, but I can honestly tell you, I see so many more girls participating now than I did back in 2007 when I went to my first event. And those that are participating are doing things like working on the robot, you know, programming the robot. They're not doing the marketing and some of the traditional things that you did see girls working on when I first started. Yeah, that's incredible. And I just wanna say thanks for doing what you've done to especially get Gigi off the ground. 
um, like for me personally, that I think really is what actually got me into driving. Um, but so, it, and I have not regretted that at all. It's so much fun. Oh. Um, yeah. So this is yeah, a little bit of a different style of question, but how would you describe your experience as like a woman in this in the robotics area? That's the feel that's so dominated by men in general. You know, it is really dominated by men. Um, I can speak for a lot of the mentors on bare metal more than anything. When, you know, when I was really involved with them, one thing that I appreciated is anything I attempted to do that, you know, I, I was never made to feel like, I couldn't or shouldn't do something because I was a woman. And and I think the majority of our mentors feel that way. You know, you have people that were raised in different generations. And so sometimes how they treat women or how they treat people is based on how they were raised and their generation. And so I think we need to work to educate people to, to help make sure that they that you know that they understand if you don't feel you're being treated fairly but i've always been a pretty strong person and so if i if i felt i wasn't being treated appropriately i would speak up for myself and then usually the person would kind of take a step back and and i could tell that they it was not intentional and they realized oh wow that you know that certainly wasn't how they wanted to you know make me feel and um you know so then they would realize that I'm actually just as capable as they are, or, you know, I might not know how to do something, you know, like electronics or wiring up a robot. Um, I'm not an expert, but, you know, through mentors showing me, just like the students, I can run a mill and I can wire up a robot and um, I usually need some help and some direction, but um, I don't think that, um, you know, I like I said, I think the mentors really want everybody to be successful. And so, Yeah, thanks for sharing. Yeah. So, yeah. So what what's like the process and like the timeline of organizing a FRC event? Because this is something that it's like seems like it's for us kind of seems like when we get to there, okay, it's happening, and it seems like okay, we've just been assigned a spot. They were organized a field, and they got a place. That's all there is to it. But I know there's way more behind the scenes. There is quite a bit behind the scenes. So back when we started with districts, we had to purchase um, our own field perimeter. So the, you know, not the game pieces, but the field perimeter. Um, we had groups of volunteers in building all the road cases. So our shop was covered in plywood that was being painted red and blue as we had teams like yours, students, adults, come and, and help us put together our road cases. Um, we really start planning a year ahead for our events. We have to we have to secure the venues, figure out the locations of our events. We try and spread them out around the state so that every team can have something that's somewhat close by. Um, you know, we have to make sure that they have, and fortunately, since we've been at most of our venues for a while, it's a lot easier than it was at the very beginning, but make sure that they have the, um, you know, the Cat5 cable coming into the gym, and, you know, the hard lines for the AV or for the FMS and and all the appropriate circuits we need and figure out if we have to bring in a generator or if they have enough power on site. And then, um, you know, we're, we're very fortunate because we have lots of volunteers. I have a volunteer who um, 
drafts all of the pits for us. And so I give her the names and the teams and she figures out based on what the needs are for the game that year, if she has to reconfigure things. Um, but, and we have fantastic FRC teams that act as our hosts. You know, most of our venues are hosted at a school with an FRC team and they, you know, they work to help recruit volunteers to provide meals for the um, for the volunteers to interact with their school administration, um, especially some of our events that are on Fridays and Saturdays, you know, when we're competing during the school day, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot that goes into that behind the scenes. And it's, I think it adds another layer, just like the game to the challenge, you know, the teams that take that on, you know, have, have a new problem they have to solve while they're building the robot and, and doing other things. Um, we are very fortunate in the Pacific Northwest that we have fantastic volunteers and not only student volunteers, but adult volunteers. Um, and a lot of other areas really don't utilize their students like we do. And we couldn't put on these fantastic events if it weren't actually for students like you, because especially when it comes to field reset and queuing and a lot of those things, um, you guys get to the point where we have students that do it event after event after event. And when we went down to Houston, our very first time in Houston, they needed so many volunteers and um, they were running short, but at the time they didn't allow students under 16 to volunteer. And um, I got a call at the last minute and they needed me to come up with, I think 90 volunteers because they were short. And I said I could, but they're all going to be students. And um, we put our students in there and first headquarters realized that we were on to something and, you know, engaging the students in that way. I think they just figured the students were driving the robot and engaging with the other students and, you know, working on the robot. And well, now we have a whole group that when they join a team, they want to volunteer and um, them doing that is, you know, the difference between us putting on high quality events and, um, and events that might not be as great. Um, additionally, when we went from regionals to districts, we really wanted to make sure that we kept the feel of the regional. So the dancing and the AV and, you know, the, I look at the events at being kind of the party at the end of all of your hard work. And so it's really, really important to me that not only do you guys have the great experience of the event, but that you have fun, you know? I mean, you have been working so hard to build this robot and it's so fun to go to the events and see all the different ways that somebody solved the same problem. But, you know, I love to see the students down there dancing and visiting and high-fiving each other and, you know, the, um, the mascot parade and all of that, you know, um, at the events as much as the competition itself. Yeah, I think that is truly a great way to look at um, events, especially for as you being the event coordinator. Um, and I think you've done a really good, good job to achieve, you know, making these events really fun and something that we really look forward to. So oh, thank you. Um, and even in COVID, um, I know you've been doing a lot to keep the fun. Um, so thanks. So related You're to that, welcome. do you have any special fun moments that like we don't get to see from the outside, but that you could see from the inside? Like, hmm. 
fun moments. I don't know. You know, I mean, I'll tell you a lot of them, I don't feel like they're fun at the time, but we've had, I've had to find a tow truck to tow our generator up at the last minute. What else? I'm trying to think of something that would be considered fun. You know, interesting stories, interesting yeah. story. Yeah. Um, gosh. There's always all sorts of little problems last minute that, you know, um, things aren't working quite right. But I think we've been really fortunate. I think one of the biggest challenges that I've had, um, I was driving down to an event at Clackamas and I got a phone call that um, they couldn't get the bleachers out and they weren't sure if it was going to be fixed in time. And so my whole drive down there, we were trying to figure out if there was a way that we could potentially um, flip-flop the entire event so that um, the bleachers were on the other side. And in this particular school, the gym isn't quite as conducive to having it flipped. So that was pretty challenging. But at the end of the day, um, they actually got the PE kids to um, come out of PE and they all worked together to pull the bleachers because it's a pretty old school and um, they were able to get the bleachers out in time. Um, but gosh, I almost tried to steal um, flat Kevin from um, the championship event in, um, let's see. Oh, I have another good story. The championship event in St. Louis, the first year we went there as the districts, we had a semi-truck and the semi-truck brought a bunch of the pits for the teams because at the time, um, our district championship event was so last minute, transporting all the equipment to the event um, was going to be really, really challenging for the team. So we tried having um, a semi-truck take it. Now, um, 2557 kind of has taken that on and helps out with that. So, yeah, so they have, you know, the volunteers of the year and all the key volunteers, they have like those flat um, stand-up picture portions of them. And we saw one of Kevin and we wanted to steal it and throw it on the um, truck so that it would come back and we could put it in the office. But um, the other funny story with that is that our truck came and they it, they parked it somewhere and they had a social um, at the venue where they had dances and they had all sorts of things going on in all sorts of different rooms. Well, it came time for our trailer to be moved in place and somebody was parked in front of it. And so the driver couldn't hook up and they wanted us to come in the next day, but we would have had to pay for like staff to come on site, you know, so that the trailer could be loaded because it was a union shop. And so we couldn't do it. And there was no way we were going to pay for that. And so I went and found the head union guy and he could tell that I was really upset. And he sent his forklift driver out to where the truck was. And they took the van and they lifted the back of the van up and they pushed it out of the way and then dropped it back down <laughs> so that our truck driver could get in and um, get the semi-truck and we could get all our pit stuff loaded up. <laughs> so that wasn't one of my events, but it was certainly a problem I had to solve at an event. <laughs> 
That sounds amazing. <laughs> it was pretty fun to watch. Can imagine. So, and I always wonder if the person who parked there ever realized if their vehicle was moved. It's like when the semi truck gone, did they even know? Or did it look different enough that they never even knew that the vehicle was moved? <laughs> uh. Okay. So how has like First Watch changed over the past like five, 10 years that you've been involved with it? Cause it's for sure changed as like, I think, First Washington expanded as a whole. It did. When um, I first came on, um, Aaron McCallum and I were the only full-time employees. And then um, soon after, Susan Martucci, who had been a longtime volunteer, kind of came on um, as a staff member as well. So initially, there were only three of us. And as Aaron likes to put it, we were building the ship and sailing it at the same time. When we took on districts, there was no rule book. Um, Michigan ran districts and I think uh, Mar, um, but they ran things very differently. So it wasn't like I was handed a manual and said, okay, this is how you do all of this. And so we kind of had to figure it out on our own. And um, we always felt like we were playing catch up because we never really knew what we were doing and we were winging it a lot of the time and just hoping that it would work out. And usually because we have such good volunteers, it does. Um, but yeah, over the years we've grown and now um, currently we have um, five full-time staff members. Um, it makes me feel good. And when you talk about diversity and girls, um, they're all women. And for the most part, our office has been majority women um, running everything, which is kind of cool. But we have um, a director of finance and we have a development director now. and. Um, as we're trying to expand and get into more schools, I'm really looking forward to what we can do now that we have a little bit bigger staff and now that we know a little bit more about what we're doing. Of course, COVID threw us a curve and I think everybody had to figure out how to do things, you know, all over again. But, um, but I think we have a good team, you know, and then we also have some part-time um, staff members that that help us out when we need to when we need help so it's it's been fun to see it evolve and fun to see um, how we've developed processes I think having some new people is good because all of us who started out came from the volunteer and from the first world we were there because we were passionate about first and passionate about its mission and so now having some new people that don't know anything about first you know, they're learning and it's fun to see the excitement as they start to understand how great this is. But they're also, I think, helping us do things better because they bring a different perspective. You know, we're now doing things the way that we figured out how to do it. Who knows if it's the best way? And so just like building the robot, you know, I mean, as new people come in, they bring some new perspectives and I think will help us to do things, do things better. Yeah, it's incredible to see the parallels between the experience as a first student and the experience as a first volunteer or a staff member um, for first. Well, you know, I tell because working with a lot of engineers and project managers, you know, we're a little bit different in that I can't say, oh, we're not ready yet. Sorry, I need more time. We have to extend the project. When we set event dates, those events have to happen on those dates, barring something like COVID. But, um, you know, and so 
we have to make it work. And there's been years, uh, Steamworks year, one of my favorite all-time competitions, except for let me tell you, um, we didn't get all the equipment till first until literally the night before um, my truck was leaving for Spokane. And um, I think they bit off more than they could chew in the production side. And it just, things took longer. And we were having to figure out how we were going to make it work because kids were showing up for an event and we had to figure out how we were going to, you know, put on an event and setting up at West Valley that year. Um, we ended up with the wrong side of a railing. And so we had to swap that out and have people drive across the state and meet. We didn't have um, everything we needed to make the, um, the things, the gears go on. And so we had to run out and go to hardware stores and try and figure out what we needed to do to make it work because the kids were showing up ready to play. And so we had to have an event for them. Yeah. You know, and, and that's interesting. And so, you know, I have a challenge similar to what you have because, you know, you guys get your challenge and you have a certain amount of time to make things work. And we're in the same boat. There's a lot we can do ahead of time, but there's a lot we can't do until we get things from first and see what we have. And But just like you, we have to be ready to go when it's time to go. So, Yeah. Do you foresee COVID changing or anything about how events are going to be run in the future? You know, that's a good question. Um, I do... For FTC and FLL, I think first just spent a lot a lot of time working on this remote event hub, and um, I think that they've come up with something. Although it's still, you know, the kinks are being worked out, but I think it's pretty robust. And I think that it might allow teams in some areas to participate that might not normally participate because I think, you know, there's a lot of teams in outlying areas and I think that they would love to have a team, but they're just so far away, they really can't get to an event. And so what I wonder is if we'll maybe have a couple different event tracks for FTC and FLL where a team could choose to be at a physical event or a team can choose to be at a remote event. Um, I also wonder, like the game design challenge that that first has released, and some of the global innovation challenges. I wonder if they will keep that as an added layer to um, give teams something else, you know, a different problem to try and solve. So, so that way it might for FRC. They might they might add some things that they haven't done before. Um, yeah, so can you talk about like the FTC like virtual stuff? Because I know I've heard a little bit about it, but that sounds like something interesting that seems like a very cool and unique way to solve the corona problem. Yeah, so what they're doing for First Tech Challenge and First Lego League is, you know, it's the same game, um, but teams can compete remotely. And so rather than like for, for FTC, it's probably the biggest difference because normally they compete in a two on two format instead of three on three like FRC. Um, but with if you're doing remote events, basically you're competing just by yourself. And so you have a half a field, you build your robot, um, it you videotape Actually, for FTC, you don't videotape yourselves, but you run your matches and have someone score your matches just like you would at a competition, and then you upload the scores. Um, 
the thing of it is that's going to be interesting to see is you build a completely different type of robot when you're mm -hmm. only competing with yourself and trying to run the score up versus when you're running two on two and have to do offense and defense and, and everything else. And so um, it'll be interesting in future years if they decide to do both, how they'll bridge that gap. Um, but I really like that they've come up with a very robust way to allow students to build and run a robot in a competition. And then they'll be doing remote judging. And um, you never know. Um, I do wonder if remote judging will become more of a thing, and even for FRC teams, if um, maybe not all the judging will be done at the competition. I think there might be something to be said to, ha to have interviews with teams and be able to talk with teams but then also have some judges that are at the events that can walk around the pits and, you know, ask questions and see what the robots are doing. Yeah, that's cool. That makes sense. I know that exact idea of having like a support robot versus like having, being able to do everything yourselves was a struggle. That's kind of like what made my old FTC team very successful. We made, we had our best run yet building a supportive robot instead of trying to do it all. I think it's a good lesson that many teams can take as well. Oh, I think so, too. And I think um, the games that FIRST is coming up now, up with now for FRC and for FTC, I think if a team tries to do everything, they end up not doing anything well. You know, but if you if you pick and choose, and sometimes picking being a defensive robot, or sometimes, you know, if you pick and choose a couple things to do really well, that, you know, those are the teams that are more, that are more successful. And I think that's true of life, too. I mean, I think, you know, no one can do everything well. You have to decide what you want to focus on and then partner with people who can, you know, help bridge the gap with the things that you can't do as well. Yeah, I think um, I've been able to see that lesson, like, play out even, again, being on an FRC team and um, transitioning from freshman to sophomore year, being on leadership now, um, and understanding the value of outsourcing some of the tasks to um, other members, um, and just understanding the value of um, having like different people work working together. Yeah. Um, you know, I also really like, you know, their concept of gracious professionalism and that they live it, you know, I mean, it's not just a phrase that they say, but, you know, I love, I love that. And I love that teams collaborate in one round, but then compete against each other in the, in the other round. And they're super competitive, but they want everybody to be the best they can be. And so they're willing and happy to help a team that's struggling because they want that team to be the best they can be. And you want to beat that team, but you want to beat them when they're at their best, not when they're at their worst. You want to beat them because you have a better robot or you've created a better alliance or you figured out a good strategy with your alliance partners, you know? And I think in the real world that it's not always like that, and I think that I hope as more students graduate out of this program that that shifts that, you know, we can be fiercely competitive, but still get along as well. Yeah. yeah. I think one element that adds to it is that because we're in alliances, it's so hard to describe, even at the end, how well you did at a competition to someone who's not in the know. 
So that kind of makes it more of, hey, I competed and not, hey, I placed X amount out of 50 teams or out of 45 teams. It's more of, hey, we worked together, we had fun, we had fun with this, these other teams, and that was great, which I think is a cool benefit. That's a really good point. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. So on a very different line, so FLL split up into like three different programs this year, mm -hmm. you, right? So I know a lot of F FRC teams are involved in mentoring an FLL team or something like that. So what are like the things that like you think will be most relevant in the new FLL programs to the FRC teams? Well, you know, they just really changed the um, kind of changed the skin, so to speak. So there have always been or recently been three programs. The ones that we do most in Washington were um, First Lego League and First Lego League Junior, which are now called First Lego League Challenge and First Lego League Explore. Then they have a third program, which was just released a couple years ago, I believe. Um, that's First Lego League Discover, and they're kind of the, the really young kids. We um, we don't, they've been piloting it some places, and um, so we don't have any Discover teams here. But you know, those students really look up to you guys as high school students. They think you guys are just the, the coolest thing ever. And so anytime you can be involved in mentoring a team, or that's one of the reasons why we love having FRC teams host the events, is when you guys show interest in what those students are doing, you really inspire them. And so it's not so much that the programs changed. I think that teams can do the exact same things that they were doing before. But, you know, um, get involved mentoring an FLL team. Um, host a competition. And if you go to a competition and you see an FLL Explore Expo, walk around talk with those kids you know the whole point of the expo is to get the kids excited um, about the first lego league program um, they do have a little we do robot now that they can program that's a little bit new um, but then to talk about what um, what their research project is and to get them to not be afraid to talk to people like you or to adults like me and explain what their ideas are yeah I went through the chain of FLL to FTC to FRC, and most of my teams were not affiliated with another team, like going in the next step up. But I can see definitely how it would have helped, and it like even at the I think the, at the competitions, that's just seeing, hey, this is run by another team, this is run by older people, this looks cool. A lot of the the competitions I went to as FLL, they had a robot, an FRC robot that they showed off, which was really cool and helped you say. Ooh, that looks cool. I want to learn how to build this, and you just keep inspiring. And I think that the new pro, like the new names of the programs, really helps push more in this direction. I think I think you're right, and I think you know what I've seen is I think it helps you guys to become teachers. You know, for these the younger kids rather than just students. What I've seen um, in my students back when um, when I coached bare metal and we started our summer camps is. You know, the students transition from being the ones that were taught by mentors or were learning from the mentors to all of a sudden having to be the mentors for the students. And it, it causes you to think in a different way when you have to explain something and, and help someone else to learn and grow. And I think ultimately it makes everyone better at what they do when they can 
learn it from a different perspective and, and, and teach it to someone else. I completely agree. Um, with like going on, um, teaching newer members in robotics and mentoring younger teams that just definitely gives you a whole new perspective about what you're teaching. Um, and building off of that, there was this one thing that one of my teachers from school said last week was that there are some teachers who realize or who know that they're teaching a curriculum. And then there are other teachers who realize they're teaching students. Um, and I think that was really powerful. And first, just in general, helps you be able to work with other people and interact with other people um, and how that makes you a better person and how that also makes them a better person. Yeah. I wonder from, a, and this isn't first, but this is more teaching perspective. Do you think, especially with COVID and with everything being online, the ones that recognize that they're teaching students are actually more successful than the ones that are so focused on teaching the curriculum? I mean, you have to teach a certain amount of curriculum but you really are teaching the students. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. The teachers that I think are doing the best from my perspective are the teachers who realize, hey, I can't do it how I normally do it and I need to adapt. While the teachers who are stuck in their ways and trying to just do their presentations online are the ones that people aren't paying attention to in their classes. And then they're like, hey, why am I bothering doing anything, spending more time into preparing lesson plans if students aren't doing that? And it just kind of like spirals out of control. That makes good sense. I can see that. Yeah. So there's so like how does how closely does First Y work together with like the other for regional First organizations? Because this is something interesting that I never thought about. We don't work really closely with the regionals, but we do work closely with the districts. Yeah. And I think especially since um, COVID. Um, just because all the districts have kind of been working together to collaborate. Like, for example, we came up with some mini challenges to help get our FLL teams excited and engaged um, with the, the season. So every couple weeks, um, Jackie, um, my program manager, she releases a new mini challenge and it has an easier challenge and a harder challenge. So regardless of your team makeup and and how new you are how strong you are there's something that teams should be successful with and you know so we've shared that with other districts because you know that way they don't have to reinvent the wheel they can use something that that we've seen and that's and that's successful and actually i've had a ton of them asking about our virtual pits because they've they've started to hear about that and so um because districts are newer it's really more recent that we've started to work together as a group. I think they were doing the same thing we were, where they were building the ship and sailing it. And you kind of have to get to a certain point and then you can lift your head up and say, oh, other people are doing the same thing I am. Maybe we should talk to each other. Um, so it, it's still newer, but um, it's nice to have other people doing the same thing we are and to be able to talk with other groups and find out how they um, overcome challenges with with different things or just how they do things differently. Um, some areas don't run out of high schools. They still have the larger venues. Um, but right now there's not really a mechanism where we interact too much with the regional organizations. 
Yeah. I know that's very similar to how we're interacting with other teams, because now it allows us to not have to worry about, hey, where can we meet up to talk about something? Or, hey, do you want to stop by our workshop to talk about stuff? It allows, hey, do you want to hop in a quick chat and call and do something like that? And I think that's been really positive, and I think both the virtual pits and does, uh, virtual pits have been really encouraging in that, and there's other, like, first, like, ways for teams to interact with each other, which have been really helpful. I think it's do you think that'll continue? Because what I, one thing that I think would be really cool, just like, you know, we have the the teams in Washington were so big or in Oregon that are more rural and don't have other teams around them. And so they've started to be able to connect with all of you guys. Do you, do you think that'll continue? Because I think that's cool. And I would love to see that continue even when we're back to meeting in person. I really hope it does continue because we are having the opportunity to, to meet so many more new people and new perspectives and ideas. Um, and I think especially this generation um, is really comfortable with um, like communicating online, like in chats or in voice calls or in meetings like this. Um, and I think COVID has kind of forced us to really get used to using like this form of communication. So it has allowed us to explore, like, you know, sort of etiquette, I guess, or like things that work and things that don't work when on a video call. Um, and I, my guess would be that it, it continues among like high schoolers like us, at least. I think it lowered the barrier to, for asking to help. Like before you'd have to ask for help, you either have to commit to going or have to talk or something that's more complicated. Now you can, hey, hey, I, can you help us out with this one thing? Can you help us out with our CAD? Because teams are like more open to talking and help training each other. Or can you help us out with this code problem and we can just hop in and whatever. And it allows for more like easy things that you don't need to be in person to help out with. And it just makes it much easier to help out with each other and I'm hoping that it stays yeah yeah so I don't think we have any more questions for you um, but huge thanks to um, you taking your time to do this um, you've really learned a lot well, you guys are so welcome. I think it's really cool that you that you guys are doing this. This is awesome. This is what I like seeing is all the creativity with the different teams, you know? And a lot of teams are just doing different things to stay connected or to engage with the community. And I never in a million years would have thought of a podcast. So I think that this is just awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, do you have any questions for us? I don't think so. I mean, you know, of course, I have lots of questions like, do you know what you want to do when you're done with high school and all of that stuff? But I don't know that I have robotics related questions for you. Yeah. You bring up a good point about like doing stuff after high school, especially both of us upperclassmen. Um, I've been really thinking about that a lot. Um, and I, for me personally, I definitely know that I want to stay involved in first wherever I go. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I plan yeah. on volunteering wherever I go as well because it's like such—it's played such a big role. There's no way that I could cut it out of my life 
Like, even to a point where I'm probably not going to have time to mentor when in college, but at least volunteering to events, taking that weekend out of my time. I oh, think it's yeah. a good time for everyone to get involved. I think it is, and I think it's great for the students to see you and hear about your stories and, you know, listen listen to how, you know, how you got involved and what your team was like. When my oldest daughter went off to college um, on their on her first day, the orientation day, they split the parents and the kids up. And um, we met up for lunch again, and I realized that I was sitting at a table full of robotics kids from um, around the area and other states. And just through like the different activities, it was like automatically if somebody was in robotics, oh, we can be friends, you know, so even though she didn't know any of them when we got there that morning, you know, they just all all of a sudden had a connection. So it's like, oh, well, we're automatically friends. You do robotics too. And so I think you'll find as you, you know, go through your life and college and become an adult, you'll be pleasantly surprised at how many other people have done robotics and how that connects you. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a secret handshake or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you know how to dance the Macarena, like during during an event or something. Yeah, I know, right? Or the, the Cotton Eye Joe. Yeah, I saw, I think it's 2412. Members from their team were like doing both at the same time or they were like doing the Macarena backwards. It was impressive. Oh my gosh, that's funny. I'll, I, I haven't seen them do that. So I'll have to I'll have to ask them when I when they do it next time when they do the Macarena, I'm gonna go up to them and I'm gonna say, okay, I wanna see it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks again so much uh, for coming on today. I think that's it. Yeah. I don't think we have anything else left. Okay. Well, yeah. you guys are very welcome. And I look forward to seeing you, you know, at the various things like virtual pits and FRC team meetings and, you know, maybe something in person in the future before you guys move on to better things. Yeah. So I'm going to plug that real quick before we cut off again. We have this coming... Uh, next Saturday, the 21st, we have another virtual pits. That is correct, starting and at then, 11 o'clock in the morning. And then every Thursday, there are virtual team meetings, and our team is hosting one on this December 17th that everyone is welcome. We don't have our topic set yet, but yes, everyone should come over. And if you're in Washington especially, or if you just want to get into this, go talk to your coaches or whatever to get the links, and we will... Yeah, or you yeah, can go to our website and get information from our website. You can go to the FRC page on our website, and there will be information for you. Um, well, thank you, guys. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Take yeah. care. Yeah, thanks. Have a good rest of your weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Yeah.